Greetings, Cross Point Church and friends of Cross Point. I expect by now many of you have already heard the news. We have learned from public health that three of our CP staff members were potentially exposed to COVID-19 in recent days. Two of us, including myself, were contacted by public health just last night, Saturday night, and informed of a potential exposure. All three of us have been asked to isolate until May 8th, and we will be tested throughout the isolation period. Out of an abundance of caution and with regard to the safety and health of our staff and entire Crosspoint congregation, we made the decision to switch to online only services for this weekend today, May the 2nd. Please keep an eye on all of our social media platforms for any and all updates in the coming days. We look forward to returning to in-person services with our new service schedule of three Sunday morning services, including 8.30, 10 a.m. in-person and online, and 11.30 a.m. as soon as it is appropriate to do so. So this is week one of our Family Matters sermon series, and I want to speak to you today. The title of my message is Making Marriage Work. And maybe some of you are thinking, now there's a sermon that doesn't fit all who would uh, be tuned in online today. But uh, I would suggest to you, maybe it fits better than you think. This sermon would be appropriate for you if you are married, of course, or if you will one day be married. Uh, maybe if you were married or may marry again. Uh, never say never. I have a neighbor who was widowed, neighbor here in Browns Flat, who was widowed in 1979. And just a couple of years ago, she remarried. And then uh, maybe this sermon fits anyone who knows someone who is married. And don't all of us do a little bit of marriage counseling from time to time. So I want to talk to you today about making marriage work. Now, Father, as we go to your word, would you speak to us? We pray once again. You promised your word wouldn't return empty. May that be the case today. Speak to us and we will listen. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Sidney Smith was an English clergyman who lived about 200 years ago. He said this, marriage resembles a pair of shears, you know, grass shears, so joined that they cannot be separated often moving in opposite directions, yet always, always punishing anyone who comes between them. That's good. I think Helen Rowland had it right when she said, marriage is like twirling a baton, turning handsprings, or eating with chopsticks. It looks easy, until you try it. Ann Landers, many of you perhaps know that name from years ago. She was into 
marital advice for a lot of years and had some good things to say. Here are her rules for a happy marriage. Never both be angry at once. Never yell at each other unless the house is on fire. In an argument, the one who is wrong will be doing most of the talking. Number four, never bring up a mistake of the past. And the last one, never go to sleep mad. Even car maker Henry Ford got into the marital advice business. Kind of seems to me that Ford should have got car making right before he got into the marriage counseling business. Anyway, when asked on his 50th wedding anniversary for his rule for marital bliss and longevity, here's what he said. Just the same as in the automobiles, automobile business. Stick to one model. Well, Sidney Smith, Helen Rowland, Ann Landers, Henry Ford may offer some insight, but let me offer this as a definition for us today, a starting point for making marriage work. Marriage is two imperfect people entering into a committed relationship, diligently pursuing intimacy under the loving rule of God. And to do that, let's go to the greatest marriage manual ever written, the Bible. Now we're going to a letter written by the Apostle Paul who was never married, and yet he was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, who is the one who invented marriage. So we're going to the letter to the church at Ephesus, Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 5, written to wives and husbands, and here's how it goes. Ephesians 5 and 21 reads, And further, you will submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. You wives will submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of his body, the church. He gave his life to be her savior. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives must submit to your husbands in everything. And you husbands must love your wives with the same love Christ showed the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean. Washed by baptism in God's word, he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man is actually loving himself when he loves his wife. No one hates his own body, but lovingly cares for it, just as Christ cares for his body, which is the church, and we are his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. 
So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. This section of Paul's letter to the believers in Ephesus tells us all that we need to make a pact, pact, P-A-C-T. So come with me now for a few minutes, and I assure you that if you will keep this pact, you will make your marriage work. So the P for pact is this, practice mutual submission. That's Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Some would like to think that Paul's marital advice doesn't begin with this verse 21, but begins with verse 22, with these words, you wives will submit to your husbands. And some would insist that verse 21 isn't written to husbands and wives. They would be wrong. But we'll deal with verse 22 in a few minutes. Verse 21 says, submit to one another. You see it? Both husband and wife are to submit. Both husband and wife are to give in, are, are to compromise, are to put the other's needs ahead of their own. Marriage was described by one person as the relationship of two reasonable human beings who have agreed to abide by each other's intolerabilities. Well, if you're sitting next to your spouse there, this is not the time to nudge them. Submit. But this word submit raises a red flag for some of you. When you hear those word, that word submit, uh, you see submit as doing the doormat thing. You, uh, so let, let, uh, when you hear that, you think that you're to let them walk, your mate walk over you. And I say, no, submit going means going way past halfway. You see, marriage isn't just uh, 50 50 where we come together. No, it goes beyond 50-50, putting your mate's needs ahead of your own, giving up the my way or no way mentality. About 55 years ago, advertising man James Jordan coined the phrase, we'd sooner fight than switch. Uh, it was used, those words were used to promote a cigarette brand popular back then. The message being, we would fight before we would ever change brands. But over the years, the phrase has become synonymous, synonymous with someone taking a firm stand or even being willing to fight for what one believes in. Many marrieds would rather fight than have it their mate's way. But Paul's point here, Paul is saying, no, we'd rather switch than fight. Practice mutual submission. Marriage is about making adjustments. Marriage is like taking an airplane 
to Florida for a relaxing vacation in January. And when you get off the plane, you find you're in the Swiss Alps and there's cold and snow instead of, instead of swimming in sunshine. Well, after you buy winter clothes and learn how to ski and learn how to talk in a foreign language, I guess you could have just as good a vacation in the Swiss Alps as you can in Florida. But it is a surprise when you get off that honeymoon airplane and find that everything is far different from what you expected. You see, you need to practice mutual submission or it'll be a long, cold winter. So that's the P of our pact. Practice mutual submission. Let's move now to the A. The A is simply this. Acknowledge the headship of the husband. And I take you to Ephesians 5.22, where Paul writes and says, For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of his body, the church. Now listen now. The family is God's idea. He, he set it up. And God is saying to the husband, I give you the responsibility as the head of the family. I hold you responsible. That doesn't mean you're the boss, but you're the one responsible. The emphasis here is on responsibility. It's not the headship of the husband. It's not some position to lord it over wife and family. Husband, you are responsible, the scripture is saying, to care for, to provide for the needs of your wife and for your family, to serve your wife and family. You husbands, verse 25, must love your wives with the same, li same love Christ showed the church. So, men, there is our model. Do you know of any instance anywhere in the Bible, in the New Testament, where, where Christ is barking orders at his disciples? Can you think of any times that when Jesus was here on planet Earth that he demanded to be served? Do you ever recall Jesus expecting his own disciples to meet his needs. Do you can you recall of any occasion where Jesus was lording it over his disciples? And after all, he did have the right to do that. He is Lord, he was Lord, and yet Jesus was the one, creator of all the universe. It was Jesus who took the wash basin and washed the disciples' feet and dried them with a towel. Every husband who would, who would demand and say, I'm the boss here. The Bible says I am. You need to do what I say has totally missed the spirit of these verses here in Ephesians 5 and is out of line. God is saying here, the scriptures are making it clear, husband, 
To you, I give the ultimate responsibility for the well-being of the home. Scripture's saying, here, here, husband, here's your towel and basin. A word for you ladies right here. You wives, if husbands acted as the head, as Christ is the head of the church, your marriage would exceed your fondest dreams. So the P for our pact, practice mutual submission. The A, acknowledge the headship of the husband. And now let's move to the C, which is simply this. This is to husbands, cherish your wife. Verse 25, you husbands must love your wives with the same life, same love Christ showed the church. And verse 28, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. And then up in verse 29, no one hates his own body, but lovingly cares for it. Lovingly cares for it. The King James Version puts in the word there that I'm using today, cherish, cherish. Cherish to cherish is a tender, thoughtful, kind, and patient love. It's even beyond what we call TLC, tender, loving care. To cherish is to let the world know that you love her. Never put her down, not even joking. Some years ago, psychologist Cliff Norterius and Howard Markman studied newlyweds over the first decade of their marriage. They discovered that couples who stayed together uh, uttered five or fewer put-downs in every 100 comments to each other. But couples who inflicted twice as many verbal wounds, 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 10 or more put-downs out of every 100 comments later split up. Husbands, be a student of her likes and her dislikes. You know, we were married almost 30 years when I discovered that Willow Ann didn't like flowers. She said to me on one occasion, after all those years, they always die. I would have known that years before if I was a better student of her likes and dislikes. Every, to cherish her means that every household decision, every career decision ought to flow out of a husband and wife summit. Listen to her is to cherish her. Cell phone down, laptop closed, TV off, and never, never stop courting her. President Harry Truman was a dyed-in-the-wool romantic. He pursued his wife Bess for many years before she agreed to marry him. He first proposed to her in 1911, but they didn't get married until eight years later, later in 1919. After they were married, Mr. Truman, President Truman, President of the United States, 
continued to romance his wife. When he was away from her, he wrote love letters. And when Bess died, more than 1,200 letters from her husband were discovered in her home. Harry never stopped courting Bess. Husbands, cherish her. Lovingly care for her. So we're three quarters of the way through our pact. The P, practice mutual submission. The A, acknowledge the headship of the husband. To husbands, the C, cherish your wife. And this one is to wives, the T, treat him with respect. And I take you to verse 33, where the scripture simply says this, the wife must respect her husband. Isn't it interesting that men are told in this scripture, men are told to cherish their wives. Women are told to respect their husbands. Interesting, because the experts tell us that women's primary need in a marriage is to be cherished. And men's primary need in a marriage is to be respected. The scripture says it plain, the wife must respect her husband. You know what? When I think of that, I want that from Willow Ann more than anything. Let the world know, wives, let the world know that you're proud to be his wife. One of the ways that Willow Ann communicates that to me often when we're in, in public is to come up next to me and take my arm. And wives, to respect him, don't try to change him. <laughs> Doesn't work anyway. Respecting, respecting your husband will do more changing than anything else you could possibly do. Be direct. Say what you mean. Don't hint around. This may not be true in every marriage, but I think it's true for a lot of us. When, when wise, when you, when you want something, maybe, I think maybe ladies by nature are more tuned in perhaps to feelings and moods and innuendo. And, and, and sometimes we don't get it. And so give us a clue because sometimes we don't have a clue. Tell us directly, but don't nag. Some years back, Dr. James Dobson, founder of Focus on the Family, printed an article titled, Nag, Nag, Nag. And the article goes like this. Or so University of Chicago researcher Linda Waite seems to think, Waite, like a growing number of scholars, has been intrigued by mounting scientific evidence that women, and particularly men, live longer and enjoy better health when they are married. Waite believes that there are a number of reasons for this, but one of her explanations is sure to get under the skin of most of us menfolk. Here's what Waite said. Marriage provides individuals, especially men, with someone who monitors their health and health-related behaviors and who encourages self-regulation. 
Waits says, adding that married men benefit from having someone who nags them. Not true. Waits wrong. Don't nag. So will you make this pact? Practice mutual submission. Acknowledge the headship of the husband. To men, cherish. Cherish your wife. To wives, treat him with respect. Make this pact. And I promise you, you will make your marriage work better than you ever dreamed. And you can do this. You can carry out, you can carry out this pact. Remind you of Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, chapter 4, verse 13 says, I can do everything through Christ who gives me all the strength I need. A few years ago, Willow Ann and I and all of the family witnessed an awesome example of making marriage work for better, for worse, till death do us part. Willow Ann's father, Millard Mitchell suffered with Alzheimer's the last 10 years of his life. The last five of his years, he lived in the veterans home next door to the hospital here in the city of Fredericton. And uh, those last five years, Willow Ann's mother, Marion, traveled up from Brown's flat an hour trip each way to visit him three, sometimes four trips a week. And she, when she would go, she would sit with him for hours, all day usually, and she would talk to him. She would, he would, she would hold his hand. And the last years that she traveled up there to see him, he would, uh, he would be, he didn't know her. He would be totally uncommunicative. Often he would shut his eyes seemingly to shut out the whole world and her too. And yet she went. She kept going even though he couldn't reciprocate. Reminds me of what Robertson McCulkin, president of Columbia University said after 13 years of caring for his wife who had dementia, when asked, why go, why do you go? He responded and said, she doesn't know who I am, but I know who she is. Till death do us part. Will you make this pact? with me today. Remember the day you stood with your spouse and said those words, powerful words, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health, to love and to cherish till death do us part according to God's holy law, and thereto I pledge you my faith. Father, I pray for those hearing me today. I pray for every husband and every wife. Father, you laid out a plan for us to make marriage work, and in these days when it seems that so many 
marriages are disintegrating. Father, I pray that you would give us the will and the desire to do marriage the way that your marriage manual, the scripture tells us to do it. I pray for the will to do that and the, and the power for each one listening today. We bless each marriage. We bless in your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.